Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. And we had an awesome guest, Ben Schechter, who is down in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get to him in just a second. But before that, uh, we wanted to talk a bit about uh, this Robin Hood phenomenon and all the memes going on. Because uh, I love I love finance. I love investing. I can't say I love finance from a really um, a deep numbers perspective, but I love um, investing in innovation because I really understand you know, the, the side of uh, the technical side of a lot of these businesses. Um, and I'm able to mix that with some of my knowledge from the business side. Um, so I can't say I, I am good with, you know, specifically reading balance sheets and stuff. But what's really concerning is there are some younger people just now getting into finance that really don't know probably either side of the coin, uh, <laughs> just investing because it's cool and it's yeah. trending on social media right now. What do you think uh, about what's going on? I mean, there's going to be pros and cons to it. It's, there's definitely, it's probably a good thing that, learn as long as they're not risking an incredible amount of money the best way to learn is by doing it and failing probably in my opinion um but yeah there's there's already been some crazy stuff that's happened i think there's some really bad stuff but i think one of the less bad that is more funny than it is bad i sent you a meme the other day of a tweet that said uh a school had to ban robin hood from its <laughs> from its internet because a fight broke out and it was just a high school <laughs> because a fight broke out where some kid had lost money on the dip on the market correction <laughs> and somebody yelled out by by the dip <laughs> and they got in a fight oh man dude i mean robin hood's turning into like the new fortnite it's it's the new and i don't which know, really should not be the case like people need to come now. into this very educated i hope um but i was honestly to be completely honest when i was a uh, freshman i was a high school senior and i started investing in like I was honestly, I wasn't day trading, but I was trading. Um, yeah. And you know, you go up sixty percent, you go down thirty percent, you go up forty, and then you go down fifty, and it's just like it's a roller coaster. Uh, and that's not what investing's meant to be. Um, I think as long as Robinhood takes the responsibility and makes sure that they're educating this younger audience, mm-hmm. um, I think that it's fine. Because, like you said, you know, people just if they're interested in investing at some point in their life, like Robinhood's a great way to do it with zero friction it's free just throw a hundred dollars in there and start you know buying some of your favorite stocks um but it's really become kind of an internet phenomenon and a meme and it's really really funny it's yeah there's some funny stuff all right enough about robin hood though so this was a really cool episode uh for us and for me particularly so we got to interview ben Schechter, who started the original feed the frontline and i know i've gotten on here and talked a little bit about feed the frontline kentucky uh, which was the chapter of that organization that we started here in Lexington. Um, we had some great traction on that. We raised, I think we're over $15,000 now. We've gotten to help out a lot of our favorite local restaurants and provide some meals to some frontline workers. Um, but none of that would have happened if Ben had not started that original uh, organization in Houston. Um, so we get to dive in. We talk about some of the cool events, some of the cool donors, um, his learnings. He's got some awesome learnings. Um, that came from this and even some stuff about remote work. We got into some cool conversations about the future of remote work and the pros and cons of that. Um, I know you're enjoying that, that part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, total meals is what? 75,000 meals. Yeah. You know, it's great, great stat raised just over a million dollars in a short period of time. So Mm -hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. I did enjoy the conversation, especially when we were talking about, uh, you know, remote work, uh, because I think that, you know, the industry, uh, every industry is going to have to move you know, more towards that. You know, there are some industries that you just, that just can't. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of technology jobs, a lot of service jobs, um, you know, will be moving more towards 
remote work. So that was a great conversation. Now I think we really started to um, get in a good conversation when we started talking about you know the potential for people to do good. Yes. Um, and how unique of a time it is right now for people to really um, come out of the shadows and do something that's bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our generation naturally wants to do that. Many of us just don't know how or have the confidence to step out and do it. Um, so you know Ben's one of those people that stepped up. You know it just takes starting something. What we talked about was it just takes starting. Something small, like to take for instance this podcast, um, started small over time. If you continue to do it uh, and bring more people on board and, and involve more people, it grows. In Feed the Front Lines case, you know, that happened very, very quickly because of the circumstances and because of, you know, Ben's amazing job of, of doing that with a distributed team, mm-hmm. you know, around the U.S. Um, but, you know, this is a great episode for anybody that, you know, feels like they might be, you know, let's say in a rut. Or feels like they want to do something more with their life, um, and you're young or any age, you know, Ben's an example of, you know, you can step up and do something amazing. Yeah. Um, and so we had a great conversation about the potential for people to do good is unlimited. Yeah. And I think it was really cool because it all came down to with this particular cause, people just pitching and saying, how can I help? And that's what we've seen a lot in the Lexington chapter of it. You know, I, I got a call from one of my friends that was like, Hey, I know you know a lot about social media and you know, do the podcast. Would you, want to help out with feed the frontline and of course it was yes of course like i'm not doing much right now i'd love to help out with a cause like that and that's what this is spun into everyone that joined our team the attitude was i don't care what i'm doing i just want to help in some capacity i don't care if all i'm doing is like sending emails back and forth between restaurants and hospitals like just let me do something um and that's kind of grown and grown and grown even to the point where the very office we're sitting in awesome inc organized the 5k fundraiser with the guests that we've had on with moolathon uh, to raise money for Feed the Frontline. It's just everyone uh, wanted to pitch in and say, how can I help? And that's been really cool to see. And even in the episode, I kind of related it back to when a startup does that. You know, if you get with a with a founder that's really passionate about an idea, that's how you unlock that beyond just a, a pandemic or a crisis. It's having a founder that really believes in an idea and knows how to convey that vision in the right way. Um, so like Evan said, this is going to be a great episode for those of you who are young, um, who have considered starting something Um, I think a great takeaway is just going to be, you just got to do it. You just got to get out there and try it. So we're going to go ahead and get into it. Uh, We know you guys are going to enjoy this one. Ben, welcome to Middle Tech. Thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Really looking forward to this. Absolutely. So this is a, this is going to be a cool episode for us because you directly affected not only me, but a lot of people in Lexington too. So uh, Ben started Feed the Frontline in Houston, Texas, and it flowed all the way to Lexington, Kentucky and a bunch of different places. So uh, Ben, why don't, you, why don't you talk a little bit about your background and uh, kind of where Feed the Frontline got started, and we'll, we'll just go ahead and dive in, uh, dive in there. Great. So grew up in South Florida, went to Vanderbilt for college, and after graduating have been, has, have been working in, at Bain in Houston for the last two years or so. And, I mean, just a few months ago, um, I'm sure many people were experiencing the same thing, but uh, the news coming out regarding COVID-19 was pretty disheartening. 
and, and tough to see. Um, didn't really know what was going to happen, but I knew I wanted to help and to, to do something productive during this time. So talking with, with my friends, um, us having a consulting background was pretty clear. Um, we weren't going to discover a vaccine. We weren't going to help create new ventilators, but, but what could we do? Um, our immediate thought was, why don't we do consulting for small businesses or restaurants that are struggling right now? Um, reached out to a few restaurants and really didn't gain much traction. So um, from a startup or entrepreneurial point of view, um, you know, we, we weren't on the right path and we needed to pivot a bit. Um, what, what that helped us realize is that these restaurants, they just needed revenue. Um, so when, when we thought about how we could get these restaurants revenue, um, it became clear that a lot of people really needed food during this time. And it, if people need food and we have this restaurant infrastructure um, that's in need of cash, uh, that's sitting there empty, how, how can we bridge the gap between the two? Uh, so we decided to create a, a nonprofit 51C3 organization in Houston and Dallas is where we started to raise money to purchase meals from local restaurants that were struggling and deliver those meals to healthcare workers and frontline workers and eventually all different communities that have been affected by COVID-19. Yeah. So I want to, leading up to this, you, well, you hopped on the phone yesterday and you told a really cool story about your time at Vandy. Uh, working on autonomous golf carts. And then uh, what I really want to hit on there is how you went about actually tackling this. Cause you know, you said you're not, you're not much on the technical side, but the way you described working on that project was really cool. So let's go back to that for a little bit, back to your time at Vandy and uh, talk just a little bit about for our listeners. Cause that's a pretty cool little tech side of, of the story here as well. Yeah. So I was one day at Vandy was, was sitting there with my friend and and he told a story about um, a student with disabilities that he saw trying to make his way across campus and how much of a struggle it was. And, and we were kind of just screwing around. And my friend said, what if we had an autonomous car to, to drive him to classes? Um, it, it was born out of that conversation. And um, we said, how can we practically do this? So the, the first idea was a golf cart. Um, we needed a team. We, we had no idea how to build this. Uh, we weren't super technical so so we went and, and the first thing we did is we sold a vision a, a vision to work on a really cool impactful problem on Vanderbilt's campus and we recruited a team of about 12 undergrad masters and PhD students uh, to work on this golf cart and um, e even with that team we we started meeting and it was a daunting problem we had never done anything like this and it was really difficult to do and I think for a while, we, we sort of struggled as to how do we start. Uh, and, and it didn't become until a few weeks in where we were like, we need to start small. We need to break this down into individual problems that we can really solve. Let's just go and buy uh, a miniature toy, toy cart, um, one of like the Fisher-Price carts that, that little kids would use. And let's make that be able to, to go forward and backwards as a first step. And then from that point, make it so that that cart can go around an obstacle and then it can go around an entire obstacle course and you build and build um, from these small, uh, very actionable, very tangible objectives. Uh, and, and you break down that, that huge daunting problem of designing and building an autonomous golf cart. Hmm. 
And so before we really dive into Feed the Frontline, there was one last, you know, tech story or tech part of your life you want to jump into, and that was Magic Leap. I, when we connected on LinkedIn, <clears throat> I looked at your background and saw that. And, you know, when that was all happening, they were raising money, very secretive company. And so I had to ask, talk about your time there uh, and anything you can tell us about, you know, where they're going forward. I heard they've kind of pivoted B2B. Uh, so talk about as much as you can. What, what what happened there? I, I mean, truly like a, an extremely formative experience for me. Here I am um, as a young kid after my sophomore year of college, landed an internship at the hottest startup at the time, raised billions of dollars. Nobody really knew what they were doing. And once I was there, I mean, you got a sense that something was off, um, that you know, they, they just weren't fully developing a, a product that they could bring to market, that they could sell to customers. Uh, it felt a lot like an R&D shop that was spending to try and prop up a company more than it did uh, a, a company that was truly scaling. And I think the lesson I learned there is just make sure you have a product that you can sell uh, before you start doing everything else. Yeah. I, I think they 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 kind of went the route of we need to stand up this whole organization and raise billions of dollars because we're going to have to scale very quickly. And they kind of approach it all backwards because there was nothing to scale because they didn't have much of a product. Um, I think they've done some deep soul searching are going the enterprise route now. Uh, Very different, very different route. Definitely some leadership shakeup going on. Um, hoping for the best. I, I mean, I know at the at the very base level, they have some really good technology, so it would be great to to see if they can get it to work. Yeah, no, I uh, I felt I tried to follow that as close as I could, you know, with the resources that I had at my disposal. Because, like I said, they're very you know secretive. They were barely letting anybody in the door unless they <laughs> unless they had the right credentials. Um, and it was just amazing, you know, who they're raising money from. Google, like Alibaba, and Amazon. You know, all these people. I think more so wanted insight, wanted access to what was going on versus actually maybe wanting a piece of the product. It was kind of a weird situation, um, but it, it was cool to follow, and we'll see what ends up happening, but uh, had to ask given, given our, our focus on technology. Uh, so let's, let's get back to Feed the Frontline. So obviously you guys have, have built and scaled an amazing you know, cause. Talk about you know, how you went about assembling a team and expanding to other markets uh, that that basically core value that you had mentioned earlier was you know making sure you're taking care of restaurants and also you know these these healthcare workers talk about how you scaled that yeah so so the the first team was was born out of simply reaching out to colleagues at work uh, so rallied the troops amongst friends colleagues and people were extremely on board I think during times of crisis especially people really want to help in any way they can. So right off the bat, overnight had eight to nine people um, who are willing to spend their nights, spend their weekends doing whatever they can to, to have an impact. Um, in terms of expanding to other cities, it, it happened in a very natural and serendipitous way. Um, you know, Logan, we were introduced from a friend of a friend of a friend, um, and that's sort of how this went. Um, word got out of what we were doing. People in our networks 
reached out, said, I love what you're doing. Can I do this in Nashville? Can I do this in Charlotte? Can I do this in Lexington? And uh, it, it was an extremely natural way, um, but also one that really uh, got at the heart of what we were trying to do, which is local youth-inspired uh, grassroots movement of people who are builders, uh, saw what was going on and just wanted, wanted to help in any way they could. Yeah, so this all scaled what seems like really quick, because I mean, it seems like this whole thing has happened in like less than three months. So did that kind of catch you off guard when things started really taking off? And I mean, how has this whole journey, what's it been like for you to just, you know, you start an idea with a couple of friends and then all of a sudden it's like across half of the United States. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was scary at times. We, we had to incorporate, had to apply for a 51C3 designation, had to, I mean, it, it, it got really scary. One night uh, we were up into the few hundred thousands raised. I think it was around 400,000. I was like, holy crap, we're running all of our accounting out of Google Sheets. Like all it takes is one person to go in here and press delete and all of our accounting data is gone. Um, and that that's part of what comes with the territory, I think, of scaling something incredibly quickly. I mean, when you think of a startup scaling, that's usually over the course of months. This was over the course of days. Uh, so it was difficult experience, like definitely um, extremely rewarding. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it wasn't easy. Um, but I think just everybody being, uh, super focused on making an impact made it easier and, and Mm -hmm. gave us the ability to do it. Yeah. So talk for a second, just to give a shout out, uh, to all the cities that are involved right now. Uh, and then I want to talk about how you've been able to pull all those together because we, we all kind of came together there. Uh, not too long ago and put on something pretty cool. So talk about those two things real quick. Yeah. So we are in Houston, Dallas was where we originally were. Uh, Fort Worth, which was a natural extension from Dallas, uh, Nashville, Charlotte, Chicago, and Lexington. Um, I, we felt, you know, to your question that the best way to scale was to do so in a very decentralized way. We want to empower each of our cities, um, to, to grow, to, to operate independently. Um, you know, par- partially that was uh, born out of need. We, we didn't feel like we could stand up the systems and the infrastructure in such a short amount of time to, to really create a platform for all these cities. And, and partially we felt that that was a unique value prop of um, we want to be super hyper local focused and empowering each of our chapters to do so. Uh, would create a better impact in our local communities. Um, having said that, there's a ton of value that that can be leveraged from coming together uh, across cities, regionally, nationally. Uh, Logan, I think what you're getting at is uh, we we put on a, a, a great concert with uh, CMT, uh, Country Music TV, where we were able to um, leverage our brand on a national platform. Um, CMT had 4 million Facebook followers that, that they live streamed a, a benefit concert for us uh, that featured Tim McGraw, Brad Paisley, Kenny Chesney, um, Avril Lavigne, pretty random, but Avril Lavigne was involved <laughs> too. Um, it, it really became like a, a who's who of, of country music. And it was incredible to see 
all these different performers come to to support our cause and and do so on a national platform. Yeah, and t- speaking of nas- national platforms, you've actually gotten to get a good bit of press about this too. Talk a little bit about uh, the the rounds you've made on different news uh, news channels and media outlets. Yeah, none none quite as big as this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what we wanted to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we were picked up by Andrea Mitchell on CNBC, um, David Muir on ABC News Tonight, live with uh, Kelly and Ryan. Um, so some USA Today ran a article on us. So it was pretty in- incredible to see um, the, the press reach that we had, but I think it was a testament to us doing something extremely valuable in our local communities. Mm-hmm. And people really responding well to that. I mean, it was the response here in Lexington was incredible. And it's like, I remember Michael Zhu called me. He's like, Hey, I've got this friend that's doing this thing in in Houston and uh, in Dallas. And it just made so much sense. It's just so easy to grasp onto because you're helping two different groups of people equal amounts. That's just makes a ton of sense to, you know, get the donations, give it to local restaurants to help them and then give it to the, uh, to the healthcare workers. And I mean, it was, I remember emailing, his name's Rob Perez with a, a place called Deviate Kitchen. I shot him an email and it was just like, I was thinking about it as I was saying, I was like, I could say literally anything. I'm giving him money. Like there's no way to <laughs> turn this down. It's just such a simple, such a simple thing and to have a, I guess, kind of a business model to where you almost can't turn it down because you're giving them normal business is really, really something special. Um, but yeah, I know on our end, we got a lot of cool press too. We are on, uh, we are on Hey Kentucky, which is a local place, a local, um, news, news channel here. And we're on, uh, ABC 36. I got to go on there and give an interview. Um, so it was just seeing the, seeing the, the, uh, community rally around this was really cool. Um, in this aspect as well. Um, but now that we've talked a little bit about the, uh, the concert and everything that's going on, talk about kind of the current state of feed the frontline in terms of money raised and, and meals provided. And I can kind of give, you know, what, what Lexington has done as well. But, uh, in terms of nationally, where are we right now? Nationally, we've raised just over a million dollars, have delivered over 75,000 meals and, you know, with tens of thousands more still to be delivered. Um, pretty, pretty incredible in such a short time that we've mm-hmm. been able to do this. Uh, we've also expanded outside of healthcare. I think as the pandemic has evolved, needs have changed. Um, we've tried to stay in tune with that. And so um, to that end, we've done deliveries to elderly communities who aren't able to leave their homes to to get groceries or food to schools who aren't funded for meals because it's summer break, but uh, the kids are still in need of food. So we we've done our best to, to try and, and stay attuned to to what the what the needs are in the community and how we can best serve this. Yeah, so I think in Lexington, last last I heard from our treasurer, we had raised uh, just over fifteen thousand dollars, which you know, in in small Lexington, I, we were really proud of that, honestly. But uh, we actually even had a cool idea that we've we acted on these past couple of weeks, which was directing all the funds that we were getting towards black owned restaurants to kind of you know then it's almost become a triple pronged. Uh, way to support. And we're not only supporting local restaurants, but we're sp- supporting uh, black owned, locally, locally owned restaurants and also still supporting the healthcare workers. And that is, uh, you know, 
it's just been cool to be in the middle of all that. So I almost, I almost feel like I need to thank you for letting us use your idea. It's such an interesting way to scale something so fast by just giving complete autonomy to different cities. Um, no, of course, I, you guys have done amazing work in Lexington. And one, one thing we haven't mentioned is uh, we are featured by John Calipari on yeah. the Coffee yeah. with Cal podcast. Um, he made a donation of $50,000 from his foundation to our, to our organization in, in partnership with um, some of our donors in Houston. Um, and, th- and that was accepted on a national level. But, you know, when we're talking Coach Cal, that's big news in, in Lexington. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly was. I, we shared that a bunch. That was, that was really cool to uh, see Cal talking about it. That's when you know you've kind of made it in Lexington is when Coach Cal gets a hold of it. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned when we were on the call yesterday, we talked a little bit about, uh, you're writing kind of an essay or, uh, you know, a a little bit of a short story about what you learned from starting feed the frontline and you had some really interesting learnings. Uh, so let's start with the first one. You said excellence is a standard and that, that really resonated with me. So talk a little bit about that and how that, how you learned that from feed the frontline. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's sort of an old adage of it's easier to be a hundred percent disciplined than 99% or 98%. I think what that's really getting at is when you're making decisions on the margin, um, it becomes really difficult when, when there's not a very strict standard of I will do this and that's the only thing that's acceptable. Um, you, you tend to start to allow things to occur that shouldn't occur. And that 99% discipline becomes much more like 95, 90, 80, all the way down. Um, I think the same is true. And I found, from an organizational standpoint, um, as it pertains to the quality of work. Um, When you start letting things slip, uh, that tends to have a cascading effect on everything throughout the organization. Um, I don't think this means perfectionism, but I think this means when you're doing things, uh, you need to hold yourself to a certain standard and you need to strive to to reach that standard in everything you do. Um, When when that tactically, if, if I'm the social media manager and I'm posting a, an Instagram post and I say, oh, it doesn't really matter what this caption says, um, it, that attitude tends to permeate. Um, it, if you're not striving to, to align with our brand messaging, our strategy, um, what we want people hearing, then the next time you go to update the website, you're going to take that same attitude like, it's just the website and um, it doesn't really matter what I do here. And those decisions at the margin, um, they build on each other to, to a point where um, all your messaging then is not streamlined. Um, you're not communicating with customers or donors or restaurants, whoever it may be in the, in the manner that you want. Um, but that's, it, it all started with just letting the bar slip just a tiny bit at the beginning. Um, I think when it, when I think more macro, I think that's why you see many organizations either do all things really well or do all things pretty poorly. Um, I think of someone like Apple, especially while Steve Jobs was there, um, he was known for, for the standard that he set for everybody within the organization. Um, you knew that it, unless you put everything into something, made it as great as you could, it it wasn't going to get by jobs. Um, when I think about another organization, a place like Comcast, it seems like they can't get anything right. 
you call their customer <laughs> service, it sucks. Um, their connection always sucks. Like it, it just seems to permeate throughout organizations. And I think that that really starts with the the standard that you set by by example and and the way that that you lead an organization. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, you know, ultimately you're trying to set a culture of excellence and being a distributed team, even if a company is not distributed, I'll refer to what you guys are doing as a company. Um, you know, communication is, the, is at the core of setting a culture and communicating those those values of excellence. Being a distributed team, you know, this is a hot topic right now. You know, teams are in the future. We, we all think it's going to move largely remote. You know, that's not going to be the reality for a lot of companies. A lot of companies just can't be remote, but that's where things seem to be trending. Uh, talk about how you were able to manage that ideology with a distributed team like that. Were you, what, what tools were you using? What processes? Talk about that a bit. Yeah, so we were using Slack for most of our communication. Um, I would say, if anything, this experience has made me long on face-to-face interaction. Um, I just find that, you know, I think there is a space for remote work, but there's there's so much that gets lost through the cracks. Maybe that's because the the tools aren't there, um, but just face-to-face collaboration, I, I think, really produces an outsized uh, return on investment, um, whether it's serendipitous conversations that happen in the hallway, whether it's just really being able to understand someone's intent because you're face-to-face with them and can read their body language. I, I think there's a lot of difficulties um, with remote work. Now, um, that that does tend to be the way that things are trending. And I think um, we're getting more and more tools to, to, try, and, to try and deal with that. Um, the main one we relied on is Slack. But as you mentioned, it, it's hard to, to uphold that culture, not in person. Um, it's, it's hard to communicate. It's hard to stay close with, with people, especially in, in such a decentralized effort. Um, mm-hmm. No clear reporting lines, no clear structure. Um, so, so what's bringing you together? You don't have proximity. You don't have structure. Um, really need to make sure that you're, you're all focused and, and working together. And that was, that was certainly a challenge that we faced. Yeah, I remember when I joined the Slack channel that we were using, you know, a lot of these people I'd, I'd never met. We kind of had a, a group call to introduce everyone. But, you know, outside of that, I'd never met these people to know their their you know, work styles or anything. And there's definitely, I remember I wanted to use somebody's graphic. I think somebody in Charlotte made a really cool graphic. And I was like, I just, I think I joked with them. I was like, I'm going to steal your graphic, like exactly the way you did. I'm just going to make it for Lexington. And that was kind of my sense of humor, but I'm not sure <laughs> if he took it as a sense of humor. So it's, there are definitely... Lots of challenges. Sarcasm does not translate well. Sarcasm does not translate ever. (laughs) I learned that the hard way. That explains all the terrible things he was saying about you. (laughs) He's like, yeah, that dude from Kentucky is an a-hole. Like he is not doing all that. It's it's a real challenge. If you you think about a startup that's scaling, uh, you hit hyper growth mode, you're adding dozens of new people that have never met each other face to face. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you solve that problem? I, I think that's still very much an unsolved problem. Um, And I I don't think there's an easy solution to replacing face-to-face interaction and the the benefits you get from all that serendipity and 
mm-hmm. into action. I'll definitely be curious how you know some of these companies that have come out and announced they're going fully remote, like Shopify. I'll be interested to see over time if they begin to pull that back. Um, I don't think they, you know, I, I don't know if there is a, a way to pull it back necessarily. You know, once you put that idea in people's mind, your employees, it'd be hard to, you know, pull it back after a number of years. Um, but I'd be interested because I think you are right uh, that there are some things that just you absolutely need when it comes to, you know, face-to-face, especially, you know, I was thinking the other day, it's like, some of the best ideas, like you said, are serendipitous, and it's just you walking around the corner and you're sitting there eating in the cafeteria or eating in the kitchen with some friends, and you guys just small talk and eventually just work your way into some innovative idea related to the product. Well, that doesn't happen, you know, over Zoom or, or Slack. So, especially your super innovative companies, you know, it might work for some companies that are, you know, not innovating very quickly, but if you're if you're doing any kind of innovation, uh, innovation doesn't just happen and just pop into your brain and then you share with a couple people on slack i mean you've got to like communicate and and have a conversation about that idea you gotta like work it out uh, in your all's heads and and talk back and forth so i'd be interested to see how that happens over time um we'll keep going here another another lesson you had was you know people have unlimited potential to do good Uh, talk about that because that sounds that sounds uh like an awesome awesome learning on your part yeah, I, I think especially in times of crisis, I uh, talked about it a bit earlier, you see the best come out of people. Um, whether it's natural disasters, something like COVID, um, you see incredible acts of kindness, generosity, um, and, and people really bring the best out of themselves. Uh, from our experience, I saw a group of friends who are working um, pretty demanding day jobs put in night weekend hours to to have an impact above and beyond what they were doing previously um saw restaurant owners who who were really struggling themselves still want to donate their meals free of charge uh just to help the healthcare workers saw kids in the community elementary school middle schoolers um put on car washes go and mow people's lawn to to raise hundreds, thousands of dollars, uh, just everybody looking to to pitch in in, in any way they can. Um, I think something that I've thought about is how, how do you continue to unlock that when there's not a crisis? Hmm. Um, how, how do you bring the best out of people and, and continue to to get them to to build towards an impact? It doesn't necessarily need to be a nonprofit, um, but you know something like you guys are doing, right? Like. Uh, a, a podcast that that helps bring out the the best in the in your local community and the and the people around you. Um, how do you continue to inspire people to to do similar things and and to to make an impact and to leave their mark in a positive way on the people and community around them? I think a big answer to that is just having a, a vision and then a founder that can portray that vision in a passionate way. Um, and I think you know when there's a crisis going on it's it's very easy for kind of everyone to have that vision of, you know, when it's at the forefront of your mind, especially with COVID, everyone hated social distancing. And we saw all this crazy news cycle around us of everything going wrong and businesses needing money and healthcare workers being overwhelmed. So I feel like, you know, the environment was, was portraying like something needs to be done. Something needs to be done. Here's the vision. Whereas at a startup to kind of, you know, I would think of a startup, a founder portraying his vision is that's what kind of 
motivates to bring the best out of people. But and yeah, I totally, I totally agree. It was yeah. really cool to see see everyone kind of come together, especially in Lexington. Just like you know, the team we pulled together just so quick, and I'm sure it happened for you as well. And everyone was just like, I don't care what I'm doing, but I just want to help. Like, I don't care if I'm just making social media captions. I just want to do something in some way. I want to help. Yeah. I think our generation's really kind of uh, drawn to higher purposes. You know, we, you know, especially with our jobs as well. You know, our generation is not going to sit at a company for 25 years and work our way all the way up the ladder. Uh, I don't, I don't think any of us, you know, our, our, our age group doesn't want to do that. Um, You know, the older generations, that was, that was kind of, how their brains were trained, and a lot of people did that. Um, but I think you know our generation is going to be totally different. I think that with the internet, with our transparency into social issues at the you know a snap of a finger, it all of a sudden can trend within an hour something that's wrong with the world. You know, the more eyes you get on problems in the world, the more people are going to want to solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's so special about Feed the Front Lines is you know people really you know came and confronted the problem very quickly and scaled fast like we've been talking about. And a lot of that's, you know, can be attributed to, you know, just our culture and our our generation and having access to this information so fast in social media. Because um, that's how I, you know, I first learned about it from from you and then I, you had briefly mentioned it and then I really kind of dove more into it once I saw it on Instagram. Um, and that's how I got educated on it. So if you imagine like before there was Instagram, before there was Twitter, somebody wouldn't have even had the knowledge to want to get passionate about it or solve that problem right. in the first place. Yeah. So I think that's what's unique about our age group is you know our access to information very quickly. And I think we're just naturally more inclined to want to solve solve big problems. Okay, uh, so future of Feed the Frontlines. Uh, this pandemic hopefully ends one day. Uh, what, what, when that day comes, what's, what's on your mind and what's your plan? Yeah, I... I think it's much of the same of what we were just talking about. How do you, how do you get these people together that are wanting to make an impact and wanting to help? I think we talked about lessons, the the unlimited potential to do good was far and away the, the most formative lesson for me. It's there's all these people out there. I've met incredible people along the way would have never met you guys and, and heard about the great things that, that you're doing. Uh, without this organization would have never met many friends, many people I now consider good friends without this organization. Um, so where do people like us, where do people looking to build, um, where do people looking to have a positive impact uh, go to, to meet each other, go to uh, better each other, go to unleash our full potential? Um, you know, that, that's what I've been thinking a lot about. How do you build a community around that? Um, how do you create a place where where people trust each other, um, feel comfortable around each other, and, and know that each and every person around you is is looking to to have a positive impact and and looking to to do great things? Um, yeah, have seen great successes for this places like Y Combinator, right? Uh, a big part of their value add is they're bringing together an incredible community of people uh, who are all aligned on a, a very specific purpose. I think um, they're, they're very focused on venture scaling startups. Um, I think I'm thinking a bit more uh, before it even gets to that stage. Uh, where do just the, the cool people go? The interesting people that, that want to have an impact. Um, 
eventually. May not be now, may not be in six months, maybe it's in two years. Maybe right now what I'm doing isn't venture backable. It's a podcast to promote entrepreneurship in the region. It's a nonprofit that's helping uh, people in, in wake of a crisis. But um, regardless, we should be talking to each other. Um, we should be getting to know each other and we should be helping each other in any way we can. And to me, there seems like an unmet need in that space right now. Yeah, it's hard. You know, I, I uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm definitely passionate about is education. And, and, and I go to, to speak to some classes at UK and help mentor students. And, and really, one of the pieces of advice I, I try to give them is just to start something. Like, just to find what something you care about and just to go do something small and see how it grows. You know, Logan, with the drones, you know, you, mm-hmm. you've told that story a couple of times just to get your feet wet yeah. and try something new. Um, you know, with the podcast, like I in a million years would never even think I would do a podcast. I'm a very quiet, quiet person, although I am you know, good at connecting with people and meeting people. I'm getting in front of a mic in front of a, especially a camera more recently was never something that I was comfortable with. But, you know, I've become more comfortable. Um, and just uh, communicating that to people and making them understand that, you know, if you put yourself out there, the more it becomes comfortable to to do it, do something that makes a difference. Um, so if you're setting an example like yourself, you know, Ben, you're setting an example for so many people uh, to do that, just to step out and look at a problem in the world and, and take small steps. And then eventually that small step in a matter of days could become something big. Uh, but just the advice I try to give people is just look at your life, see how much time you have to give give to other people and, and try to build something and just do something small. Like you said, like what we're doing, a podcast, a blog, you're starting a blog, you know, um, you know, anything it can be to get in front of more people and share your ideals. I think is just a good place to start because there's zero, zero friction other than the work you have to put in mm-hmm. nowadays to actually like spread the word of something, you know? So that's, that's something I always try to communicate with people. I saw, yeah, I actually saw you tweet today, Ben, like your, your personal brand is, unlimited value like it's so valuable and i think you you really understand that which is very important yeah and i i think more and more you're you're seeing people being able to activate their followers their community uh in such a positive way and i i think that's really the future of you know if you're you're able to build up a brand if you have a podcast with 50,000 followers and then you want to run a contest to to try and design the best solution for a problem, you have 50,000 people that are willing and hungry to do that. Um, and uh, I think, you know, personal followings uh, can be really leveraged uh, to make an impact in the future. That's and a perfect word I was going to use, leverage. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Huge leverage. Um, I, I, I think this is also uncharted territory. What is, what is a decentralized workforce look like where you have people who have 50,000, 100,000 followers um, creating design challenges, creating problems that they want solved. You see some of this sort of happen on, on Twitter where, where people will look to activate and leverage their followers. Um, but to me, it's such a nascent area that hasn't fully been explored yet and something that, that will become increasingly important in the future. I think one of the cooler things that's happened in the social media space that is along these lines is Facebook for people's birthday allowed you to pick a cause that people could donate to, you know, things like that. You know, these, these companies with so much influence over us, Twitter, Facebook, Google, Apple, 
you know, they, they are going to start stepping up. And I think, you know, these events between COVID, um, Black Lives Matter movement, you know, all these things are really going to force them to step up and do more things like that with their, with their technologies. Um, so I'd love to see more of that too. I think there's definitely uncharted territory waiting to be explored. Let's do, uh, we always try to end on a forward-looking statement. Uh, just to give the audience a look at the optimism that you know entrepreneurs have uh, when they look at the world, give us your forward-looking statement on you know what you hope comes from uh, you as an entrepreneur going forward. Feed the front lines. Talk about just what you see the future being for yourself and and anything that um, you know you've built to this point, whether it's feed the front lines um, or you know your personal brand. Talk about what you you see going forward. Yeah, I mean. I'm just excited. I, I think the front line certainly gave me optimism of the great impact you can have by just starting small, as you guys talked about. Um, but I'm optimistic and excited for everybody. I think we're, we're seeing an incredible convergence of some of the craziest events in our lifetime all happening at the same time. Um, COVID, Black Lives Matter, um, what was going on with the stock market, um, and, and what still is going on with the stock market, you know, all these huge macro forces converging at the same moment. And I'm excited to see what people do with it. I'm excited to see um, what people build out of it and, and how we make the world a better place. I think um, we're, we're, we're coming up at a point where we're seeing huge sort of cracks in the system that, that's out there but that's exactly the opportunity for people like us to, to go out and build and to go out and have an impact and excited to see what I do, what people like you guys do and, and what everybody can, can come up with during this time. Yeah. No, I think you said it perfectly. There are cracks that are being exposed. I was talking to a friend uh, the other day about what's happening. And uh, you know, I asked my grandmother who's 90, uh, is this the craziest thing that's happened in your life? And she said very quickly, yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty crazy. Uh, I can't think of anything that's been you know bigger than this. You know, she she if she's ninety, she's lived through some some crazy events from you know other other pandemics to wars, and the fact that this thing that's been so crazy that's probably been the craziest thing to happen in who knows how long hundreds hundred years. I don't know. I I don't know. I'm not. I'm only twenty four. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, the fact that this happened when we are twenty four. You know, when we are this age. Um, you know, I was talking to my friend and I said, uh, you know, none of this is, is really ultimately um, good in the moment. This is all really bad. And I don't want to make this sound like it's it's good. But for us to have this happen so early in our lives, we're, we're going to be prepared so well for anything that comes at us in the future. Um, and really, this is, like you said, exposing so many problems in the world um, that we can address. And we have the tools now to, to do that with amazing advances in technology so it's very exciting. Uh, but when I say exciting, you know, I'm not saying that this is a good thing. I'm just saying that optimistically looking forward, uh, you know, our, our generation is going to be well set up to really solve some amazing problems. And when, when you say things are, you know, exposed, cracks are exposed, my mind just moves to evolution. You know, I think evolution has been, sp- you know, sped up in this time. And an example that, that I can give is, um, you know, racism has been around for a while, you know, there have been African-Americans killed by police officers and videos of that for the past, you know, since social media has been around. But the reason that it's caused such a big stir recently is because you have probably had double the people 
eyes with eyes on these videos because they're sitting in their home and everybody's stuck at home during COVID. And now you've got so many more people watching what's happening and they want to get behind something and get out of their out of their homes. Um, and I think that's just, you know, the fact that that's happened um, is evolution's been sped up and we force problems and cracks, like you said, out faster than we would have before. Um, and I think, you know, racism is an example of that because it's been around. Uh, it's just now more people are starting to see it uh, in a very tangible way with social media. So, yeah, um, you know, I agree with you 100 percent. You know, we are uh, exposing cracks and going forward. I'm optimistic. Um, and it sounds like you are as well. So it's great talking to you, man. Thanks for coming on. You've done some amazing things and we look forward to you continuing to do that. Thank you, guys. Really enjoyed it.